That's great. You may be seated. All right, we are going to jump in to what I believe God has for us as a people this morning. And uh, my challenge today is that this subject matter is so huge and deep that part of me says, why even attempt it in a short span of time? But it's what God has laid on my heart for us to address. How many of you have ever had to forgive somebody? Can I see your hands? I mean, put them up there. I've had to forgive somebody. How many of you, in your opportunities to forgive somebody, would say, I found it really easy to forgive them? Okay. I won't ask you for a raise of hands, but I ask you personally, how many of you are struggling with forgiving someone who has hurt or harmed you right now? Some of you don't even like that question because you're trying to forget about it. But that hurt and that harm that that person brought, you carry with you right now. That unforgiveness reality is a part of your life. And how many of you would say that that person that you um, are having a hard time forgiving right now is someone who offended you within uh, the last year? How many of you would say it's someone who's offended you within the past two years? That it was five years ago? Maybe it was longer than Ten years ago that the offense happened. And you are still struggling with being able to forgive that person. Well, today we are going to look at the subject of forgiveness. Being able to forgive others who have offended us. And this is not only for the sake of your own soul. And for the soul of the other person. It's for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because friends, we, if we claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, are in the forgiveness business. But sadly, especially with the title Christian, we are extremely poor at doing so. If you've been following along with the AD series, you know that we are in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. If you've been watching it on NBC on Sunday evenings, how they are portraying it, they're taking creative license again to try to demonstrate some of the, the relational dynamics that were going on. You know that where we're at is the season where the Apostle Paul, who we talked about two weeks ago, um, who was named Saul of Tarsus before he came to know Christ, was violently attacking Christians to the point that Christians were in fear of this Saul of Tarsus man. But God met him on the road to Damascus, Syria, all right, and revealed himself to him, and Saul of Tarsus was converted and became a Christ follower and a Christian 
that day. In fact, we had the map that we gave reference to a couple of weeks ago just to give context. Uh, the star represents Jerusalem, and the disciples, uh, that's where they first began to preach the gospel because that's where Jesus was raised from the dead, and then it started to go out. And we see this map on the news almost every uh, night, it seems like, about what's happening in the Middle East. But this is very pertinent to where we're at in Acts because the Christians spread throughout the known world at that time, and there were Christians in Damascus, and Saul of Tarsus was headed there to persecute them. And on the way there, as I mentioned, that's when Jesus met him. And it was, I don't know about you, I appreciate Kimmy making mention of it. I was just sort of stunned and taken back that here we are, and we are focused on um, this 80 series and what God's doing. And 2,000 years later, God brings to us last Sunday a pastor from Damascus, Syria, to preach to us, to share about the trauma that's going on. That very week, he gave reference to the issues that had happened with ISIS and what you know had transpired. And so you're like, wow. But yet he was excited because churches are full. People are seeking God. Pray for us. Pray for protection. Pray that the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ flourishes in my city. So it's just not ancient history we look at. It's current history. But here was a clip of the episode that NBC had for the AD series this past Sunday night. You know, when I was coming here, I was so excited. Barnabas had told me so much about you. And yes, I know what we were to each other before. But I thought, I genuinely thought that when I saw you, you more than anyone, I thought it would be incredible. But you just sit there and judge me. Why do you think he chose you? Because nobody could have stopped me from getting to you except him. Let's go out. Let's preach his message. Now we can go out. Because of you, we've been hiding! Will you never let this go? Do none of you practice what you preach? It's not that easy! Isn't it? You all bicker and prattle like children when inside each of you is the greatest gift. And you have to share that with mankind. You have to. And I have to too. You went after my daughter! Yes, I did. All I've ever done is hurt you, Peter. Jesus should have struck me down, but he didn't. He forgave me. And I must beg you for your forgiveness, too. Has he never had to forgive you for anything, Peter? You know, when Ananias came to my house, he told me that Jesus had sent him. He told Ananias that I will suffer. And I will suffer for his name. Oh, I will never forgive myself for what I did to you, but I am scared. I am so scared that the pain I feel right now is nothing compared to what will come. It would be easier to run, but I can't. Now. 
has he never had to forgive you for anything, Peter? Peter, the one who denied Jesus Christ three times on the night, the day that he was crucified. I'd have a hard time forgiving Paul if he had been chasing down Christians and hauling them, putting them in prison. Paul also was a little bit of an arrogant guy. That's portrayed well. Self-confident. He was a Jew amongst Jews rising to the top. And Jesus met him, revealed himself to him. And Paul, who was he later then called after Saul of Tarsus, he changed his name, began taking on the cause of seeing that the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ could be taken to every man, woman, and child in the world. The most passionate missionary that's ever been known in the world, the Apostle Paul. When there were no churches in the far most reaches, that little interface, though, that's portrayed, I wondered how many times that that would be true of my life. I'm defiant. I'm dug in. Somebody has offended me. And I have a hard time relinquishing that offense, being able to forgive. I think our world is in tremendous need as well. When I think about it, some of us have been watching the media soap opera issue with the Duger family and uh, their son Josh, who um, molested some sisters in the home. And a uh, terrible thing which is done. But I've watched uh, a little bit more from a distance as I saw interviews and other things, and maybe you saw them as well with the parents and with the sisters even this week. And and then the reaction of others. And I thought our world is in desperate, desperate need of understanding what real forgiveness is. Not that what was done uh, was justified in any measure. But what do you do when there has been an offense? Where do you go? How is it handled? Do we just dig in our heels? You see, in Acts 9:19, it says, Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? And then in verse 26 it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I'll be honest with you, I guess I have never really paused to think about this being a powerful section of Scripture related to forgiveness. Because Paul didn't offend me with what he did. I think he was a great leader in the New Testament. But if I climb into that early church world, I would have had a really hard time with Saul of Tarsus. And when he re-entered back into the Jerusalem environment, not only were people afraid of him, people were indignant about him and they held animosity towards him. So what happened in that moment? And you see 
whether depicted with the 80 series or as you study the scriptures, you see clearly the wrestling with the early followers of Jesus Christ to take not only his teaching but also his work on to other people and allow that work to happen. A work of reconciliation, a work of healing, a powerful work of God's grace that speaks volumes to a lost world, to a world that's in desperate need of understanding what do you do when someone ticks you off, hurts you, who offends you, who has who's broken their covenant vows in a marriage, who has undermined you at work, who has been the re- person who resulted in slandering your name with other people, who failed you, a child who was never able to, to really embrace all that you've done for them and turned against you. What do you do in those situations? There's only one thing that we can do. To look to Jesus Christ and what he has offered for us in this world. Because without what Christ did on the cross and the hope of his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, the story of Easter, we have no hope. Easter was just the beginning of what Christ wanted to do in and through our world. I want to read for you a little now, uh, true story by Dan Allender, who has been very encouraging, a writer, a, a Christian psychologist for me in understanding this. He talks about this in a discipleship journal article from a number of years ago. He said, The woman sitting in my office seethed with a growing anger. I could see her pulse quicken and her face redden with rage. The father who had sexually abused her when she was a child had called recently after years of neglect to invite her to dinner. Finally, her anger erupted. How dare he walk into my life and expect me to receive him back with open arms. I want him dead. Almost as suddenly as she spoke, she began to wither. Her skin took on a lifeless color. She spoke in a drab, wooden fashion. I know I need to forgive him. I just can't seem to break free of the hurt and the anger. As a counselor, I felt stuck. We both agreed that she was unforgiving, but I knew her shift from hatred to guilt had nothing to do with true understanding of what it means to forgive. I probed further. You say you would like to see him dead. Is it even more accurate to say you would like to kill him? She sat back in her chair. The color returned to her face and she hesitated, hesitantly admitted, I'd love to shoot him. I want him to pay for what he did to me and to the other people I know he abused. What a shame, I replied. Her head lowered and a shroud of guilt again descended. I know, I know, she lamented. I shouldn't want to hurt him, but I do. Her anger and her desire for revenge proved to her that she was unforgiving. Her head popped up. She looked at me. I said, I think you've misunderstood my remark, I continued. The shame is not in wanting to see him pay, but in the method you've chosen. What would you think about the prospect of him lying face down in a pool of excrement, inhaling dung until he drowned? She looked startled at me. Are you sick? She blurted out incredulously. That is the most awful thing I've ever heard of in my life. Are you a Christian? I assured her I was. And I declined credit for the thought of drowning an unrepentant sinner in dung. It was not my idea, but it's God's. If you go to Isaiah 25, verses 10 through 12. Whoa. My client knew she should forgive her father, 
but she feared that forgiving would lead to a deep inner deadness, not a taste of life. She believed that forgiving her father would invite her to further abuse her and crush her heart. Like my client, Allender says, many believers hold on to an understanding of forgiveness that is clouded in a haze of error. Forgiveness is too often seen as merely an excuse in releasing bad feelings and ignoring past harm, pretending all is well. Yet nothing could be further from the truth. True forgiveness often deepens inner passion and sorrow. Yet it is a powerful agent in the process that can transform both the forgiver and the forgiven. It is a gift that pierces a hardened, defensive heart with the rays of redemptive I recently had a conversation with somebody in my own life who had offended me a number of years ago, and not only me, but I felt my family. And when I walked away from that time of interaction, I thought to myself, was that it, God? I just sort of have to let it go now? There was some general sense of understanding on their part of the offense, though it wasn't enumerated. There was a general sense of sorrow expressed, but not in detail over any details. I thought, is that it? I just got to forget it and move on. You see, this message and some of my wrestling this very week, um, even on the heels of watching that episode Sunday night, has been very personal and dear to me because I struggled even as a pastor someone who's walked with Jesus for many years and forgiving people who have brought deep defense and changed the trajectories of my life. But I can't stay where I'm at. You know what it's like. You're bound up. There's a sense of hardness that comes from the subtle bitterness that lies below and, and, you, and you try to think about it for a while, and then you try to discard it, and you try to move on, and you keep saying to yourself, someday I've got to work through this someday. Someday I've got to let this go. Friends, the reason it's hard to let it go is because it is deep, and it cuts us to the very core of our being. God created us to be in the beauty of relationship and going all the way back into the Garden of Eden where the first sin separated Adam and Eve from the relationship with God who walked in the Garden. Sin is in this world and sin as it reflects upon division between relationships is at the core of the greatest pain and hurt that there is. What are you going to do with yours? What am I going to do with mine? I want to mention four myths, and I think these myths are key. Allender mentions these myths. I will not go in detail with them, but these myths highlight some of the ways that we erroneously do not deal well with this subject matter. There's the myth of forgetting the harm. I just got to forget it. I got to move on. Friends, we cannot forget. Then there's the stipulation, well, God can forgive, and God can also forget. Does he? It says on the final day we'll be given according to what we have and have not done. But then God sees what he's done through us and the forgiveness is there and all that secures. But, you know, God separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's a metaphor, but can we hang what we believe upon the metaphor when it's really a description of God, this great fast work of forgiveness that he's brought on our behalf? It's as if it's not there. In fact, I, I had just this last week, I had a lunch with a person and 
this person actually did something way back in seminary and, and uh, in graduate school is when I was with them. I showed up at seminary as a young guy. I was ready to get at it. And, uh, and uh, I heard that I could go on this weekend preaching trip, this opportunity to be an evangelist, a weekend at a church. So I was trying to do some church health stuff. I was all signed up. I was good to go. And that senior, because I was a young guy, the senior stepped into my life and he says, I don't know. I don't think you should go. He'd heard me speak in a preaching class, and I don't know. Maybe he didn't think I was good, or he thought I was going to be too harsh. I don't know. And so I didn't get go. Well, I've been friends with this person over the years, and we interact and connect. And this last week, I just sort of brought it up at the lunch. I said, oh, yeah, my, uh, I, you know, my son gave reference to when you did such and such in my life when we first got to know each other. And he goes, I don't remember that. I'm like, no kidding. I remember that. Sometimes we can forget. Right? The offense that we've caused towards another person or not even know that we've offended the other person. And this whole thing of trying to forget the offense, you know, we don't have the capacity to do that as a human being. I will not forget that he really crushed me as a first semester graduate student concerning my preaching. All right? The myth of forgetting the harm. Don't go there. It is a part of your life. It's a part of the identity that you have. It's a part of your story. It's also a part of your redemptive story of God's work in your life that can happen. The second is the myth of releasing anger. That's one of the reasons we don't like to think about it sweeping under the rug because when I just start to think about it, I start to gnaw on it. I'm like, I get mad about that person. That wasn't right. Oh, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way. You know, it's interesting that he pulled out that, uh, very, that Isaiah passage about falling face flat in manure and, and being able to suffocate in that. And it's like, you know, it's like, hey, listen, your anger. God gets angry over sin. He's a holy, perfect God. It's a matter of what you do with the anger, right? So the anger, don't try to be dismissive. The anger that you have towards somebody who's offended you, it's there, all right? So the myth of releasing the anger. The next is the myth of not desiring revenge. Oh, I'd like to get them back. I hope the same thing happens to them sometime. Right? It's like, where does that come from? That's ugly. Well, part of your desire for revenge is actually a good thing. You desire for justice. You desire for justice. And that's a part of being made in the image of God. You want things to be just, to be made right. All right? Now, again, you have to watch where does that go. But it's this idea that, that you should be dismissive about the revenge. Well, it, the question is what you're going to do with that desire to see revenge, to see justice prevail. And then there's the myth of peace at any price. Well, we're just going to have to get along. I'm just going to have to have to let it go, and I'm going to have to, you know, just sort of suck it up and bite my lip and not do anything about it. Friends, if you are trying to push down, whether it's the harm, the anger, the revenge, or the sorry sentimentality that just need to have peace at any price, then um, you're not going to ever find your way through on this journey of forgiveness. I'm going to list for you the process of forgiving and just highlight five things. And like I said, these you'd have to drill down into deeply. But it maybe gives you a framework to begin working on these things. The first is forgiveness is identifying the harm and owning the wound 
of the offense. Identifying the harm and owning the wound of the defense. If you are struggling with their forgiveness, one of the best things you can do right now is name what it is. Sometimes you don't really even know what it is. You're just hurt. Something happened. Something didn't go right. And you just got this feeling of frustration and anger and growing bitterness. But you just need to pause. And it's painful. It's hard work. But let's drop down into it. Specifically, what is the offense? What is bugging you about what happened? And you've got to identify it. Identify the harm. And then you own the wound. You own where you're at. I hurt. This is painful. It's been painful for years. And you don't shrug it away. You embrace it. It will take time. You'll have to face the debt of what happened to you before you can ever do anything about what happened to you. Forgiveness begins with naming the harm the manner, the means, the measure of the harm done. And yes, it's the acknowledgement that you were owed better by that person. In fact, if you're trying to counsel somebody right now in your own life who's trying to get over some bitterness and harm, uh, the last thing you want to do when you first sit down and try to interact with them is saying, oh, it's okay, everything will be all right. You know, they didn't mean that, this and that. No, you climb into their pain, you try to hear them out, and you let them know that that which they're feeling is legitimate and the person may have, whether they inadvertently harmed you or you know, intentionally harmed you, whatever it may be, they owed you better. And sometimes they'll never hear that from the other person, but even maybe just hearing it from you as a friend and acknowledging, yeah, you were done wrong. They owed you better. That's not throwing the other person under the bus. The other person may be a friend of yours too. But the offenses that we carry to one another need to be identified. And we need not to run away from the hurt that's there. God can take that hurt and work with it. You know, my mom, one time when I was wrestling with some issues of forgiveness of somebody else that was in the church, she referenced this psalm in Psalm 55, verse 12. I guess I'd never gone there. It says this. It is not an enemy who taunts me. This is David who's struggling with what happened to him at that particular time. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. Friends, I don't know about you, but that verse needs to stand out in your mind if you're committed to a local body of believers. If it hasn't happened before, it'll happen soon. You will be offended. You will be hurt. You will be wronged by somebody in the church family that you're trying to, to love and be loved in. And that's harder than this if it was an enemy or somebody you vaguely knew. But here's David crying out with his heart that very thing. It's, it's you. I mean, we walk together. We talk. We spend time together. And I just can't deal with it. Why you? I would have never thought you. And you take it one step away from the body of Christ, thinking about the confines of our family relationships, whether they're extended family or the nuclear family. Forgiveness is taking into account, friends, that there is horror living in this fallen world 
and there is sin, and it will happen to you. It's not ignoring it. We cannot pretend one of the analogies is if you take a beach ball, you ever done this in water, and you try to push the beach ball down, (laughs) and you hold down for a while, but after a while it gets harder to hold it down. You try sitting on it or whatever, and before you know it, it pops up. That's what happens if you try to shove down the offense and the hurt and the pain in your life. It's going to pop up somewhere. And oftentimes when it pops up, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. So this is the first thing we do. Forgiveness is identifying the harm and owning the wound of the offense. And many times this takes a long process to try to dig it out and get to it and understand all that was going on it. The first great enemy to lasting change is the propensity to turn our eyes away from the wound and pretend things are fine. So once you are at that place, then you can honestly take on the next step. And the next step is this. Forgiveness is remembering how much you've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. And how much you've been forgiven in Christ Jesus, uh, I don't know where else you go for the next step if it's not for the sake of Christ. Ephesians 2. 432 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. A forgiving heart knows how much it's been forgiven. And a forgiving heart in this yearns for the sense of reconciliation. C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So what you take upon yourself then is a deep reflection of your own life. In the video that we just saw portrayed, right? Peter's focus is on Paul. When Saul of Tarsus is going, how dare you? How dare you think of this? And Paul flips it on him. Peter, has he not had to forgive you for something before? What do you think Peter's mind went to? You betcha, flashing through all the scenes. Not only the scenes of denying after the cross, but the scenes of mandering and pandering after this and that and being double-minded. Get the focus back in understanding how much we have been forgiven in Christ. It does not release the other person or dismiss what they did, but that's where the disposition begins, to be able to forgive the other person. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about we as believers, that we need to be ministers of reconciliation because in Christ we are new creations. The old has passed, the new has come. And then it says this, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we as Christians are to take upon the mantle of taking God's hope to the world, His grace and forgiveness, then we need to understand how deeply that is applied to us. I, the Scripture said, we implore you. This is Paul writing, right? I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Understand what He has done. Him who was no sin became sin on your behalf. And I think one of the the best ways to this is not to just, you know, have a verse here or there, understand things cognitively, but picture Jesus Christ before he was born, taking upon himself the sin of the world, him who had no sin. And in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he took upon himself your sin for every double-minded, erroneous thing you've ever done, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Friends, we have hearts that are very deceptive. We have hearts that are full of pride at times. 
We have hearts that have lust. We have hearts that carry unrighteous anger towards other people. So you have to then turn inward and say, this is true of my life. For whatever's happened to me, whether from my parents, whether from a coworker, whether from a friend, whether from somebody in the church, I have to look internally and see the condition of my own heart and then realize how much God has forgiven me. And if you've never had Jesus Christ forgive you for all of your sins, well, then you've got good news. You could be reconciled to him because he paid the price for your sin. And he wants to be reconciled to you. You need to turn and follow hard after him. You know, it's interesting if you read the story in Luke 7 about the sinful woman who anointed Jesus uh, with her perfume. You know, there was the, the understanding that to whom much uh, has been forgiven, there is much greater love in that person. And sometimes I feel that we don't really get the impact of the love God has for us in Jesus Christ because we've never sat down to enumerate all that he's forgiven us for. Not just pre-Jesus this very week. And so from that position then, as we acknowledge and remember how much that we have been forgiven in Christ, we can take the next step, which is forgiveness, is relinquishing the debt you feel the other person owes you. There is a debt that needs to be paid, and somebody better pay up on this. Things need to be made right. You're right. You were owed better. There was harm and damage done. There is a debt that is due. Canceling the debt, somebody's got to do it. You've got to face it. And so we enter into our own heart for the, uh, the hurt and the anger, and we grab a hold of it and some of the justice that we feel that is due us. And we then have to take it somewhere. And where we take it is to Christ. It says this in Romans 12:19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Maybe you think of it this way. Maybe you've never. But the offense that happens towards us, it's not my right to make do the justice part but there is a perfect and just one who knows the hearts of all people and some of them desperately wicked not repentant at all and so i take the debt and i transfer it to jesus a debt is like money i in one sense i loan him a couple thousand bucks and he's not paying me back pay me back he owes me a debt it sits there and pay me back well it's that same kind of idea this person owes me something they need to pay for it. And you're saying in that moment, I'm going to relinquish this debt that they owe me. And they now owe this debt to Jesus. Now, Jesus is a just God. And he will deal with it appropriately. When all said and done in the final times, things will be made right. I take great delight in that. Not in a, <laughs> you're going to get your due someday. No. It's like, no, there is one who is more pure in their thinking, is totally pure than I could ever be in their thinking, and knows all things. I'm just going to defer to him. And God will settle all accounts someday. Don't ever worry about that. But the question is, when he settles the accounts for that person, have they received the forgiveness that he's offered from his heaven to be able to have entrance into his heaven, or have they defied it? And Jesus, he can make those decisions. He will be the judge. But that's not for me. So I seek to relinquish the debt that I feel that the other person owes me. 
Do not take revenge, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is not mine to avenge. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You owed me better, but then you get to a place where you say, but you don't owe me anymore. Number four, forgiveness is responding to the harm done to you with actions of goodness. If you read on with that Romans passage, it says what? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by overcome be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Being able to overcome the evil or the offense with good speaks loudly and can bring the other person to repentance. For what you desire is for the other person to have repentance. Hopefully you will pursue reconciliation and you yearn and hunger for reconciliation. And many times that's brought about by you doing good. D.L. Moody said this, The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. You're right, Paul. I was forgiven so much. Who am I? to be able to sit here in condemnation of you and all that you've done. Goodness. And goodness, may may I be uh, real clear with this somehow, goodness is not some sentimental niceness like, oh, I'm just going to bless them with this. You know, goodness may be some tough love. Goodness may be that when the alcoholic father who's never been there for you comes and he wants money from you, that you just simply say, you know, I can't give you money anymore, Dad, because you know in the back of my mind, your mind he's not ever going to repay. But you say, you know, I could uh, do a more honorable thing, I think, that you would feel, and that is to pay you for some jobs that need to be done around the house. Or maybe it's someone who needs to go into some type of treatment to be able to see themselves move away from an addiction. The good that you do to them in their life is some tough love saying, no, we need to do this. Come with me. Don't perceive blessing someone, heaping upon them good as something that is just sentimental niceness. Sometimes it's really tough love. But in that, you're leading a person to repentance. You're leading a person to reconciliation in your own life. And then lastly, Forgiveness is an ongoing process that deepens, not merely an event. Matthew 18, 21 says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Jewish law at that time said that a person was to be forgiven three times. So Peter doubled it and added one when he approached Jesus this particular time and says, Hey, man, what do you think? I should forgive someone who pins me seven times, huh? Oh, better than three, Jesus. And Jesus just looks at him and goes, Dude, you don't understand. Seventy times seven. An infinite number. I'm sure that encounter with Jesus was also in his mind when Paul came in to town. Forgiveness is never a one-time thing. In fact, I recently told somebody about the challenge that was still ongoing in my own soul. Well, you're a greater man than I am, Carrie, that you would be able to do that. And I said, no, 
I, I passed the test today. I forgave the, te- I forgave the person the offense today. I released them of the debt that they owe me today. Tomorrow will be a new day, and I'll have to do it all over again. See, 70 times 7 may not be that many offenses that the person has towards you. It may be the same offense you have to forgive 70 times 7. Don't ever put yourself in a corner thinking that, oh, I had this once and for all work of God in my life to forgive the person. That can happen, but it really, friends, it doesn't happen. In fact, there's a story of a, of a lady who had a hard time forgiving her husband for an adulterous affair. And so she finally, at some church service, she knelt, she prayed, she confessed, and really got victory and felt that she had finally forgiven her husband and walked out and, and sat down with her counselor. And the counselor was interacting with her, and she says, I've just forgiven this guy. I'm so glad. And, and uh, my husband and I, I, I think things are going to be totally fine now. And he's sitting there going, no, there's not. She comes back a little bit later, and she goes, well, I don't know. I thought I, I, I saw this woman talking to him in church, and she was awful close, and she was, you know, giving some physical touch to his arm, and I just, all of a sudden, I flipped inside again. Well, now you can do a couple things in that moment. Doggone it, I'm a terrible forgiver. Or you can understand that sometimes you have to forgive an offense 70 times 7. Friends, forgiveness is a movie. It's not a snapshot. It's an ongoing journey. And for those of you, myself included, raising the hand, saying there is someone in my life right now I need to forgive, there's an offense, I hope these points are encouraging to you, but behind the point is truth embellished in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to whom much is forgiven, much love comes forth, and we're able to forgive. And it's not dismissing what was done. It's not denying the hurt and the pain that sometimes you will carry with you your whole life because of what happened, and it scarred you. But God wants to bring beauty out of that offense and that harshness and show the beauty of his redemption to you and your life, to the person who offended you, and to the world that He is a God who forgives. He is a gracious, loving God, not a God who's seeking and tracking you down. If He's tracking you down, it's to offer His forgiveness. Friends, we, to our world, need to be able to freely forgive. May we go to Him. May we take our hurt and our pain. May we understand what He's done for us. May we, to our ability through Christ, move the debt to him, relinquishing the debt of that person. Then may we turn towards that individual, extending kindness and goodness, even if it's tough love, because it will speak volumes to them. And then know that this is going to be sometimes a lifelong journey. Lord, here this morning I pray, as the worship team comes to close us for us to be able to sing a song about your great salvation, that you would enable us to forgive those who have offended and hurt us. But Lord, in that, may we understand what a great salvation and that you are mighty to save us in our own life. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, and I don't know why I just feel compelled to do this, maybe it's an acknowledgement before God that you just need to make this morning that you're a person that's in need in this area. But if you are carrying a deep burden of unforgiveness towards an individual or a group of people, 
and you need God to work in your life this week in being able to bring ongoing healing, just raise your hand before him and say, include me, Jesus, just across the room. I need to forgive. I need to forgive. Yes, several. Anybody else just acknowledging before him, I need to forgive. Lord, you've seen not only the hands, you know the hearts, you know all the episodes, the storylines behind it all. And I pray that you would help enlighten that individual this week to the matter at hand, to be able to walk through some of these things we've discussed and, and see another step, another season of forgiveness come about in their life for this situation. Lord, reconcile, heal things. Lord, may we be a ministry of healing and reconciliation. But Lord, we can only give what we've experienced. And for that measure, Lord, may there be great reconciliation among us as the awakening body. Lord, we thank you for such a great and mighty salvation in you. In your name we pray.